0: Well, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Matthew chapter 5 with us, Uh, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. We'll get started uh, there in that uh, chapter in just a moment. I want to welcome you today as well. My name is Paul Mumon, the lead pastor here, and uh, we are kicking off a summer-long series today called Beautiful, and uh, for the next eight weeks, we're going to take a look at eight statements given by Jesus, uh, eight statements that are typically referred to as the Beatitudes. Now, the heart of the word beatitude is the Latin word beautis. Uh, And it means blessed, and as you might have guessed, uh, even by looking at it, it's the same Latin word that gives us our English word, uh, beautiful, and uh, that's where we get the name uh, for this series. But I'm really excited for these next eight weeks together as we study in Matthew chapter five and uh, study these beatitudes. I really wanna challenge you uh, to make it a priority to be here with us on the weekends. And I know that with uh, summer, and travel, and just the nice weather outside, there's always that temptation, there are always those other things that come up. But I hope, again, that you will make the effort, uh, and you'll make it a priority that when you're in town to be here with us on Sunday mornings, especially for this series. And if you've got people you're investing in right now, I mean, this is a great series to invite people uh, to join you. If you've got family that come into town, to bring them with you. Uh, These are gonna be some great weeks together, and I really think that whether you call yourself a Christian or not, uh, even as we work through these eight statements, uh, some of our assumptions of Jesus and of faith and of Christianity are going to be challenged. Uh, some of you will have your thoughts about Christianity t- uh, turned upside down, or uh, just even your impressions of Jesus, or what you've always heard about uh, Christianity or about Jesus. Maybe some of those are going to change as you gain a better understanding. Uh, of who he is and what if he's li- what he's like. Uh, I think some of you are going to walk away uh, with that greater understanding. But I'm also praying that for some of you, maybe this will be that time in your life where you trust Christ. Uh, as your Lord and Savior, that maybe uh, your understanding of who he is and why he came and his love for you, uh, his grace, will, will, he will draw you to himself, and, and you'll trust him. You'll trust him uh, for, for forgiveness, and, and your life will be changed. But together, uh, we're going to see how Jesus paints a picture uh, of what a truly beautiful and meaningful path uh, it is to follow him. Uh, How many of you remember uh, this story from from last year? I don't know if you remember this story when it came out, this uh, opportunity uh, to have lunch with Warren Buffett uh, for the cost of $2.2 million, all right, if you can believe it. Now, uh, if you remember this story at all, you probably know that uh, the funds, the proceeds uh, from this particular auction, this opportunity to have lunch with Warren Buffett, they all went to charity. Uh, But can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine paying $2.2 million uh, uh, to have an hour or two of someone's time. And I just wanted to let it be known for the record that I'll have lunch with you uh, for the cost of about a burrito at Qdoba, all right? I mean, it's really uh, that simple. But, uh, uh, but think about it. I mean, 2.2 2 million dollars, Uh, To have lunch with somebody uh, like this, but if you think about it, I mean, if you're going to have lunch with somebody, if you're going to take advice from someone uh, and pay you know good money, I mean, why wouldn't you uh, spend the time with someone who's the best in their field? I mean, if you know anything at all about Warren Buffett, you know that he purchased uh, his stock with Berkshire Hathaway in 1964 for $11.50 per share, but today every share is worth $215,000, and Buffett's total stake is somewhere in the ballpark uh, of 56 uh, million, or is is it million? No, billion, $56 uh, billion. But but think about it. Think about it like this. I mean, can you imagine uh, being able to get advice uh, from some experts, from uh, some of those people who are well-known or have had some success uh, in any particular field, uh, someone who is at the top of their game. I mean, imagine, maybe you like to cook. Can you, can you imagine getting some time with a guy like Alton Brown, all right, and just picking his brain a little bit on cooking, or somebody like Rachel Ray or the Pioneer Woman? Again, if you if you like to cook. Maybe, uh, do we have any basketball players here today? If you're, a, if you're a basketball player, can you imagine getting some time with a guy like Stephen Curry? And I, I don't know if you followed this guy's season or not, but uh, news broke this past year that he made 90. Four out of 100 three-pointers in one practice, uh, and in that same round of shooting, made 77 three-pointers in a row. I mean, that's that's ridiculous sort of shooting. My guess is he's got some advice to offer uh, when it comes uh, to shooting, or maybe you've got a wedding coming up uh, this summer. Maybe you're in the, the, the shopping, uh, kind of looking for a wedding dress right now. I mean, why wouldn't you want to check in with somebody like Vera Wang and what she has to offer, the advice that she offers when it comes uh, to weddings? Or maybe you're looking for some workout or some fitness advice. Device. And so... You know, why not? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe there's somebody else, you know, to go to uh, for that fitness advice. Or maybe you run a business or you're looking to run a successful company. I don't know if you've ever run across the name of the guys, Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Uh, They're the co-founders of this little internet company called Google. And uh, they've had incredible, you know, success uh, with their business. We uh, had an opportunity to visit a buddy of mine who works at Google uh, just a a couple of months ago and just... I didn't get any time with Paige and Brynn, but a little bit of time with my buddy. And uh, he showed us around the Google headquarters and heard a little bit about their story and their culture. And again, just some of the fascinating things that Google is doing right now. I mean, who wouldn't want to take advantage uh, of, of these guys or some of these others uh, that I suggested? But here's, you know, here's the thing. I, I mention uh, these individuals who are at the very top of their game right now, these leaders in their respective fields for a reason. And that is that at the time when Jesus spoke these words in Matthew chapter 5, everybody wanted to hear from Jesus. All right, everybody wanted to come to Jesus. Everybody was ready to listen to him. And it started when Jesus stepped into the public scene uh, to be baptized by his cousin John. And one day John was preaching and baptizing in front of a crowd of people, and John saw Jesus coming. And here's what he said in John 1 29. John looked at Jesus and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Now, it was John's way of saying, hey, there he is. He's the one. He's God's chosen one. I mean, this was a big-time endorsement from John to this crowd, to these people that were listening to him, and from there, John baptized Jesus, and Matthew records that when Jesus went under the water and came up out of the water, a large group of people overheard something remarkable, and Matthew records it in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on a dove and alighting him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased now we don't know for sure if anyone but jesus actually heard this but if they did can you imagine i mean can you imagine how these words would have caught the attention of anyone anyone in the crowd at that moment i mean a voice from heaven a voice from heaven and from god i mean that's powerful stuff again that's a powerful endorsement Well, from there, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, followed by time with the men who would later become his disciples, and they traveled to places like Galilee and Jerusalem and Samaria, and as they went, Jesus taught, and and not only did he teach, but he performed miracles, and he healed the sick, and we're not talking about just soothing toothaches or relieving uh, headaches. I mean, Jesus was healing every kind of sickness and disease. Matthew records in Matthew 4, uh, verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. All right, imagine the effect that that's gonna have as we look at our text here in just a moment. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those who were suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. In verse 25, he records, large crowds from Galilee, the, the Decapolis, You know, which would be like saying the twin cities, but only these are 10 cities that are being referred to here, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, they all followed him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the sense that you are being followed, all right, which isn't a a great sort of a feeling, but Jesus was being followed. I mean, as Matthew records, he's become quite popular. In fact, when Jesus spoke these words, the words that we're gonna look at today, his popularity was soaring. And so large crowds were always gathering around him, Uh, especially on this day, waiting to hear what he was going to say next. And anyone who had listened to him, anyone who had heard him teach up to this point had heard Jesus talk about and point to the fact uh, of a kingdom, right? a kingdom that was coming, a kingdom that would be available to them. Like in Matthew 4, verse 17, when it says that Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That word repent means to go in a different direction. All right, to not keep moving in the same direction, but, but to move in a different direction, to, to move in the right direction, to, to seek forgiveness of sins and to go another way. And so Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, whenever Jesus talked about a kingdom like this, he was referring to both a future kingdom and a present kingdom. Uh, a kingdom that was unlike the norm that we see uh, in the world on this day or even that we see in this world today. And it's not a, it's not a kingdom of an earthly king, but rather a kingdom where, where people experience God personally and have all of the benefits of God's favor in their life. You know, the kingdom that Jesus talked about, the kingdom that Jesus described here is not just some future uh, kingdom, but a kingdom for right now. I mean, again, it is a future kingdom, but it is also a kingdom that is available uh, to be enjoyed even today. And that's why Jesus went around telling the people, the kingdom of God is near and it's here and I'm here so that people can experience it. And because of that and because of the way that he talked and because of this hope that he was offering to the people around him, the people couldn't help but wonder, you know, what's it going to take? I mean, how can we be a part of something like that? Well, that brings us to the scene and to the words that we want to look at and we want to discover today, and not only today, but over the next uh, eight weeks together. And Matthew records in Matthew 4, verse 25 again, he says, these large crowds, they're coming from Galilee and the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region uh, across the Jordan. They all followed him. And then over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, here's what Matthew records. He says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Now, this sermon that Jesus is going to teach was probably a sermon that he taught frequently, but we know it as a whole as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Again, we're going to look at the introduction of that sermon over these weeks together, this sermon that we'll call, or these uh, statements called the Beatitudes, but, but Matthew records there's a large crowd there. Now, we don't know how many we th- were there. We don't know if it was hundreds, probably more likely thousands. We don't know for sure, but all we know is that the people who came, there were those in the crowd that were sick and hurting. Uh, others came that had been sick and hurting, but had now been healed. Uh, we know that the disciples were there. I mean, Jesus, if you look at just a few verses before that, it had just appointed the 12 disciples. Uh, and so they're in the crowd and near the front. And even Jesus is addressing them specifically. But like everyone else who had come, You know, these disciples, the people in the crowd, they all had to be anxiously waiting and wondering what Jesus was going to say. What was he going to say about God's kingdom? I mean, they had to be wondering who gets into God's kingdom. Again, what does it take to be a part of this? Now, why would they have been concerned about a question like that? Why would a question like that have been so important to them? Well, part of the reason why is because the only kingdom they had ever been exposed to was a real backbreaker. Right? I mean the the, the religious leaders in the day had set the bar incredibly high for what it took to be in the it crowd, religiously speaking. And so they must have been wondering, what's it gonna take? I mean, what's it going to take for us to get in? Well in Matthew five again, Jesus starts to speak, and as he starts to speak, I can imagine a huge hush falling over the crowd as they get ready to anticipate his first words. And his first words out of his mouth are so important, and look at how they're recorded. Again, it says, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, verse 3, blessed are. Now, stop there for just a second and say those words with me. What does Jesus say? He says, blessed are. He says, blessed are. I want you to know that the entire passage that we're going to study together these next, next eight weeks, hang on those words, blessed are. Jesus said, blessed are. And what does blessed mean? Well, we say bless you when someone sneezes, right? Uh, we, we say, uh, we talk about being blessed when we get a raise or when we get a new car. We sometimes say blessed when probably what we really mean to say is luck. But the word blessed here in Matthew is so much greater, it's so much richer than any of that. John MacArthur uh, defines the use of the word blessed, uh, Jesus' use of the word blessed as a deep joy, uh, as an inward uh, contentedness that is not affected by any external circumstances. Uh, Theologian Scott McKnight says a better translation for the word blessed in this passage is God's favor upon. And so if you take these two understandings of the word, it's like Jesus is saying that when you you are blessed, you are the recipient of God's favor. It's a favor that results in a deep joy and inward contentedness in us that is not affected by any outward circumstances. Pastor and author John Ortberg describes how, in the ancient world, uh, there were two kinds of blessing statements. Uh, The first type of blessing statements were called the statements of instruction. All right? And these are statements that tell us if you live this way or if you do this, uh, then you will be blessed. And so it might be a statement that blessed are those who obey or uh, blessed are those who are generous. These are, these are blessing statements that are designed to teach us how to live and to act or, or what to do. And so there were these statements of instruction, uh, but there was a second kind of blessing statement that was much more rare. And these were the statements of surprise. And uh, these were the blessings that were given to the people of Israel much like the people on this day uh, that were struggling, Uh, those that were feeling hopeless with nowhere to go. And uh, these blessings urge people uh, in the most difficult circumstances to hold on, uh, to not give up or to give in. And so these statements of surprise uh, proclaimed that there was a reason to keep on going uh, and a reason to have hope. Well, when Jesus began his message with a blessed are statement, my guess is that many people in the crowd were waiting for a statement of instruction. They were ready to be told, here's what's going to take, or here's what you're going to have to do, or here's what it's going to take to get in. They were expecting this statement of instruction. They were expecting to, uh, to hear what would be required of them to be included in the kingdom of God, but what Jesus gave them was not a statement of st- instruction, but it was a statement of surprise. Ortberg writes it like this. He says, the Beatitudes are designed to shock people into realizing that now the blessing, the good life that we all drive ourselves crazy and frantic and busy trying to grab a hold of, the good life, the really good life, the life in the kingdom is now available to anyone who wants it through personal contact with this man named Jesus. Let me just stop there for a second and just ask, I wonder how many of you are driving yourself crazy today, maybe even frantically crazy, trying to grab hold of the so-called good life, you know, investing in this, giving yourself to that, looking for love in another relationship or in all of these wrong places. I mean, we're looking for the good life. I mean, think about how often so many of us, we try to make sense of it all. We try to, to fit in. We're trying to make a good life for our kids. And so we get them involved in, in, in numerous things. I mean, again, we're trying to make meaning of it all. I mean, we're looking for this good life in anything other than God. But what, what Jesus wants to reveal to us is that there is a life that is available There is this so-called good life, the really good life, this life in the kingdom as Ortberg describes as Jesus is talking about, and you know it's available, and it's available to us through Jesus. It's available through personal contact, through personal relationship in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at these words together, as we look at these beatitudes of these blessings from Jesus, please realize that he's not saying, okay, here's what you need to do now to earn your way in. He's not saying, try hard to live like this, or again, here's what you need to do to earn this. No, Jesus is saying that the people who are already like this, the people who are in good shape, well, God's favor is upon them. A beautiful life is theirs. A beautiful life is there, and it's ready, and it's available to be taken from you and by you if you'll just receive it. And so who are the blessed ones? Who are those that receive God's favor? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, looking at the rest of this first beatitude. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the last word that people in this crowd would have expected to hear Jesus saying, following the word blessed is the word poor, all right? I mean, they had to be thinking to them, no, 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 I mean, you got this wrong. I mean, that's not what we've been taught. I mean, the rich are the ones who are blessed, The rich are the ones who are favored. The rich are the ones who get in. I mean, how can you be blessed when you're poor in spirit? How can you be blessed when you're poor in anything for that matter? I mean, that doesn't sound like anything beautiful. I mean, does it? I mean, I wonder for you. I mean, I wonder even when you hear those words, and maybe if you're brand new to this or brand new to these words, I mean, when you read something, when you hear something like poor in spirit, what do you think? And you see, that's what Jesus offers. That's what he offers to this crowd and what he offers to us, his invitation of the present kingdom, that is a relationship with God, that is eternal life right now. His invitation is for everyone. His invitation is for everyone. It's to the poor in spirit because you don't have to earn it and you don't have to prove yourself for it. Jesus says it's available. It's it's available to you just as you are. It's a call for us. You know, when you think about it, it's a call for us to consider, even for you today, to consider how you've been approaching life and what your great motivations are in this life. to make sure that we're seeing life through him and by him and for him, that life is available to us, that good life that Ortberg describes is available to us, that the life that Jesus describes for us is available to us through himself, a relationship with God. He came to show us the life for which we were made and who that life is available for. His invitation is for everyone. His invitation is for you today. It's like we find in the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, uh, starting in verse 28, when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And what will we find? He says, And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know What that means for you is that even as you come in here today and maybe you find yourself embarrassed at the fact that you don't know the songs or uh, you don't even know where to begin finding the book of Matthew uh, in your Bible, Jesus says, no worries. The invitation is for you. You're welcome. You were invited in. And if you ever feel like that you come here and and it always seems like everyone else leaves refreshed and renewed uh, each week and you just leave feeling ashamed by what happened last weekend or what happened over the course of the past, Jesus says, there are no worries, all right? You are the poor in spirit. You are welcome, and you are invited in. A relationship with me is available to you. If you ever find yourself at a place where you don't feel like you're a very good Christian, Jesus' words here are for you. They're for you today. You are the poor in spirit. I am the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Jesus' invitation is available to anyone and everyone today, especially if you're tired of messing up, especially if you're tired of breaking down or falling off the wagon. His invitation is for the bullied. It's for the picked on. It's for the spat upon and those who can't defend or stand for themselves. If Jesus were here today, you know who he would invite? He would invite the bankrupt and the debtors and the debtors. Down and outers. He invites those of us that have a past reputation, or maybe you find yourself with a present reputation. Jesus invites the adulterous, the promiscuous, and those who are sexually confused. And he invites the self righteous. And he offers you and I the chance to give up trying to work and to earn his love and to just receive it instead to realize that it is available to you if you will take it and receive it. It's available to anyone who is tired or worried or burned out on religion. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, you who are poor in spirit. And he says, and I'll take your burden, and I'll give you new life. You know, there are days... There are days where I still want to try and earn his love. There are days when I want to try and prove myself to God, and maybe that's the same of you. Maybe that's what you try and do. Maybe you've spent most of your life trying to prove yourself to God, or or maybe you gave up a long time ago. You just decided for yourself that you've messed up too many times, and so you've got no chance with him. Here's what Jesus says and what I'm praying. He will open up your eyes to see with us today, to see that he loves you as you are, and not as you think you should be. Again, Jesus says in Matthew 5:3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Eugene Peterson describes it as, blessed are those who realize that they're at the end of their rope and that Christ is sufficient and that he is all I need and he is everything that I need. Friends, it's the gospel message. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the gospel message that reminds us that God loves you that he sent his son for you and his invitation for you is to trust Jesus and to follow Jesus. And this is the first step to a life that is full of meaning. And a life that is full of purpose and value to the blessed life. Jesus is yours and to realize that you need him is a blessed thing. Josh is going to come out right now and he's going to sing a song for us. Uh, a song that talks about the importance of realizing who we are apart from Christ but seeing all of the difference in the world that Jesus can make for us. And as he sings this song, I just want you to think about uh, the difference that Jesus has made in your life or the potential of the difference that Jesus can make in your life today. Let's listen to this song together.